3: hey everyone this is the two guys from hollywood podcast a spotify and villa romana network production i'm alan Evitz. and i'm joey Sanders. hi joey hello there's a lot going on this week Yes, there are. So we need to jump into this because there's a lot to talk about. And then we need to introduce our very interesting guests today because we're going to set it up before they come on so that our listeners know who they are and what they are so that when the interview starts, they're, they're already clued in and we don't have to waste time with these ladies figuring out who they are.
0: Yeah, because you really can't really tell until till we get rolling what it's all about right
3: well we did that intentionally because they yes. had limited time they were calling in from all over the world actually and so we we promised to keep it brief
0: brief but then we also want to be very specific on on what we're talking about so or brief what fee- but then we
3: kept them on 20 minutes longer than we <laughs> than promised we intended to. <laughs> <laughs> true true you want to bring up a new thing you want to introduce a new segment which i rather approve of
0: Yes, well, it's it's not it's it's new. It will be new as a segment. Yes. Yeah. But but Philip and I and you're us, not and, and you know I use this expression yes all the time, and so I'll just give you a quick little history uh, on it. So when we were going to school, Philip and I, we had a couple of uh, there was a couple of girls that we met in in school that were they were two sisters and they were black girls, and so their expression when something was a little bit cringeworthy. Was like, oh, that is stink. That is so <laughs> stink. Love you know, the expression. So we picked it up way back when we were kids, and right. we've been using it all this time. And so it's it's almost like a little bit addicting because now all of our friends know, and for years and years know what it is and use it for their own thing. Like even my mother picked up. She'd say, oh, that is so stink, Joey. Please don't say that again. <laughs> you know. So it just became that thing. You say it, so all right. our friends say it. Even some of my clients say it. So it is an expression that we use when something is rather cringeworthy. Something that either someone does or it could be a performance. It could be an attitude. It could be a book. It could be a movie. It could be just an expression. How somebody behaves. Yeah, or just an expression. It's just a commentary on on something that is just rather cringeworthy. Okay, great. Well, we got lots of those things. Yeah, and I'm sure we all go through it. So rather than saying, oh, that is so cringeworthy, which is about as – Right, white as you can get. We say, "Ooh, that is stink."
3: (laughs) All right, so we're doing what a stink list. We're gonna have a
0: stink list every week. Okay. So what you some things that you think are stink or crazy? Well, you know
3: me. I think a lot of things are stink. Exactly. And
0: I, you know, I can't get stink enough. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) so you can start with your. Let's give a couple on your stink list.
3: Okay. Well, my stink list, I guess, would be. Did you see this? What do they call it? A smash and grab or whatever that happened at Nordstrom's in Canoga Park the other day, which is just just over the hill. Well, it is, but the video is really a little disturbing. It is, and they get bigger and bigger. Yeah, I mean, this was like 30 to 40 people Uh dressed in black with masks rushing in to Nordstrom's at the you know, during their regular business operating hours while customers and guests are there can i ask you yeah. just
0: before you go on is this nordstrom or nordstrom rack
3: nordstrom okay so they, it's in the mall at canoga okay, park so
0: they moved up from dress for
3: less and all that yes this is nordstrom which is not cheap anymore No, but and it's in the canoga park mall ahead, and they so they rushed in They weren't happy enough just taking merchandise, which was estimated at almost $100,000 worth of merchandise. But they then, you know, had to smash the shelves and tear down things in Nordstrom's and make a whole sort of thing out of it.
0: I heard they molested the mannequins. (laughs) (laughs) That's how bad it's getting.
3: Well, the mannequins liked it, but they hadn't been touched quite like that. Uh, no, but it was really when you, it, I mean it's worth going online and looking up the video. It's it's rather disturbing, and they you know and this is happening all the time it's now. It's a trend. It's a trend. Nobody's getting pr- uh, prosecuted for it. You know the the new laws in California, and I'm going to go with it because you know me. I'm not an ultra liberal. I'm not. I'm not built that
0: way. Listen, you can't even. I'm wear a moderate. Blue without somebody coming at you.
3: No, Exactly. You know. And, you know, they all, you know, they changed the law that now if you take less than $900 from a place, you can't even call the cops. But, you know, $900 a to lot a lot of, of money, to, especially to a family owned business. $900 of merchandise is a lot. Now Nordstrom's is $100,000. And I'm sure they have insurance and they'll collect on the insurance. But by the way, all that does is make insurance rates higher because someone is going to pay for this down the road. I don't know what we're going to do about it, but we got to tighten the laws. And I know nobody wants to pay taxes to keep people in jail. And they don't want to do all these things. And they're going to let them out. And we don't have bail anymore. It, let me tell you, all I know, it ain't working. No. It's so not working. And there's going to be a backlash, like in a lot of other states. And suddenly you're going to see the Democrats not acting quite so democrat They're going to be like, throw them in jail. Well. Because I... You know, you and I, we're Democrats. We don't approve of this behavior. We certainly think they should be prosecuted.
0: It's not a political thing. This is a crime. But it is because it's a crime. It's a
3: crime. But the Democrats put through the law that allowed this to happen. And and again, Democrats, a Democrat. Liberal Democrats, liberal, the far left
0: with the bleeding hearts. I can't I can't deal with that. Right.
3: And it's the same problem on the right. We both have the same problem. You know, this country is about the middle, the middle 70 percent, not the fringe 15 on both ends, which have taken over control. But they're all stink.
0: Very stink. 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 You got it. Now you see. can you understand how stink works? Stink.
3: (laughs) Okay. what's your stinky thing?
0: Uh, my stinky thing is, okay, it's, now please don't be mad at me for this. Uh-oh. And I do like her. Me and I like or what, the audience? The audience. Okay. And I like her, and I like her music, and I like what she brings to, to the entire thing. Um,
3: Who are we talking about? Taylor Swift. Oh, And it's not Swift-y. her.
0: It's the people, some of the people that are fans of hers that are Swifties. right. And so, to me, that is stink. a little bit stink. Right. So when because of the way they act, you mean? Yeah, it's like you know. Listen, I get the young girls and boys, and they, and they you know, they have that, you know, and they're they fans, and they should be, and that's you know, and that's right. That's, that's the like we all did all growing up. We all did it, and yeah. we still do it to to some degree. But when you've got, you know, I mean, I was just the other day at, at shopping, and there was a woman. Uh, you know right behind me and she was talking to the sales girl about oh, I'm so excited she's going to the swifty concert or and or, you know the Taylor Swift concert and she was buying all these things to wear and she had these beads and and things and she has... how old like, was she like 58 <laughs> you know okay and that's love you don't want to you don't want to tell somebody they can't be somebody or something right you know they don't have to go to a you know wayne newton concert right you know but for god's sakes it's a little bit stink and not that you shouldn't have fun and do all that stuff but it's a little bit stink and you're not going to tell me that their daughter or son that sees moms going to a swifty concert with eight of her friends dressed like you know with with candy beads and all this stuff right doesn't think that that's a little bit stink
3: right so, and not wanting to go with them. Right, we'll go on another we'll go on another day, Mom. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. So it's just, so that just has a tinge of stink to me. But no difference than there's a tinge of stink with the Beyonce concert, too. Though everybody's dressing like Beyonce in sexy outfits. But that's always
3: happened. Have you gone to a Stevie Nicks concert? They're all in boots and lace. It's and...
0: all stink. So I'm just using this particular one that reignited that stink in me. Right. Okay. Got it. Right. Me- it's the stink, same thing. It stink across yeah, the rock. Yeah, it's like going to you know <laughs> Woodstock. <stall>. Wood stink. <laughs> that was kind of stink too. <laughs> Shit,
3: there was. It stunk of a lot of, out of, out of, guitars guitars and, of pot. It's what it stank of is pot.
0: You know, and hairy armpits <laughs> and, and
3: LSD. That's what it stank <laughs> of.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and gladiator sandals. You know, that's brutal. Or those Schleven What do they call those? Those sandals that are Schleven I, I, I have no idea. Schleven uh. uh Birken, Schlo- oh, oh Birkenstocks, stocks. yeah, Schloven, something like that. <laughs> it's the worst looking. Shoe and... on the oh, are the worst. They're the worst. Worst. but that comes with granola, and you know, bugle beads and all right. that stuff.
3: Because they're not into fashion. They're into their Birkenstocks, but,
0: but it's a fashion of its own. Yeah, you know, no, it's, it's anti-fashion. You know, pre-Raphaelite dresses and Birkenstocks help me now that is stink too so does does everyone listening to this get what stink is start using it
3: okay (laughs) moving on (laughs) we've stunk enough
0: (laughs) stinks in here
3: do we have anything good to say today did you see anything good or have you read anything good or have you watched anything good that we should
0: it was interesting there was a documentary and it was uh about a serial killer a gay serial killer did i tell you about us on hbo max no um, but I to, would to, watch that probably to, to, to serial killers. It was I, only four like. episodes, uh-huh. uh, and it was it took place in New York, uh-huh. and it started in the God he, in the late. Of
3: course, st- he had to be gay.
0: Well, he, it's, if he was gay, then he'd still be having fun. He wasn't gay. He was a tormented person that wasn't accepted by the gay community oh. and had a vengeance toward because he wanted to be. Right. And couldn't pull it off. You, you know, when you're, when you're not that attractive, it well, gets really hard.
3: Hello, Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. It's, it's, it's rough I know. on
0: some, some wannabe queens. It, it really is a, a tough sell. Yeah. You know? So they had that resentment, and then, you know, they weren't loved by their family. They were probably from the South or, or someplace like that that had all that religious stuff attached. Right,
3: And it was on um, HBO, you say? HBO Max. Uh-huh. Gay Serial Killer. Yeah, it was called, uh, oh, God, what was it, damn it? Uh, last
0: Call. Oh. Yeah, Last Call. So it was an interesting title because, it, you know, he, he would pick up these people at a bar, at a gay bar. But right. Here's, here's when the they were
3: desperate, thing. they're most desperate in The Last Call.
0: Yeah, that 11 o'clock cute, that's scary. Uh, More like 1 a.m. cute. 1 a.m. cute. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> three-hour time difference in New York. Um, the, the interesting thing was, and it was also a little bit scary, watching it. Because the three of the murders uh, and uh, victims he met at the townhouse. Oh. In New York.
3: Well, a lot of side. the people in there are already Wait, dead. They just where, where, don't know where, it.
0: But that's where we would we hang out there. We <laughs> hang out there in New York. No, we. Yes. So Alan, don't say that. You always go with me when, in New York. I hate that place. But you go there. I go there because okay? you're there. No, but well, okay. I hate that I've been place. going there forever because it is a gentleman's club. It's up, up club. It's upscale. And it has a nice crowd. It's upscale. I mean, the crowd is
3: 70 and above.
0: Well, it's better than that. Anyway. <laughs> you know, you just killed it.
3: Oh, I have some interesting news to, yes, share, to relay. Share. <laughs> I am the proud owner of a pilot's license.
0: Fantastic. I'm so proud of you. That is amazing. And I'm so excited. I
3: don't know what I'm going to do with it now that I have it. Because now you have to sort of fly and you have to get a plane or you have to rent a plane. You have to like plan your life now around flying.
0: Which, yeah, which we do have a couple. Yeah, We don't know how to fly those kind of planes.
3: But um, it was, I had taken the major part of the test a few weeks back. Yeah. And we sort of had a little interruption. And so I had to do one little piece with the examiner again so he said can you meet me he's a commercial pilot and he said can you meet me in Santa Monica on Sunday and we just need to do one lap around the airport and as long as you don't mess that up you'll get your pilot's license and I was like sure and I the crazy thing is and I told him I said it's kind of crazy because I flew from Van Nuys over the mountain you know over the hills to Santa Monica landed I did two more laps at the airport there and did full stops, returned, took off because I wanted to make sure I yeah. could do this properly with him. And the funny thing is that when he got in the plane, I said, you know, it's a little weird that they allow me to fly over here by myself, do two laps around the airport. And now I have to do a lap with you to make sure it's okay for me to fly. Right. <laughs> and he laughed. He said, I know it's a little silly, but, you know, he had to do it because those are the rules. We got on the plane, I did my first lap, and as we were, you know, they had me squeezed in between two planes. And so as I'm landing, you know, I thought, ooh, that plane is a little close, a little close, right? And he said, wait, the examiner kept saying, wait, wait, wait. He's going to clear the runway in time. Just keep going. Just keep landing. Because he also, he doesn't live here. And he had to make a helicopter ride, apparently. So he was trying to get out of there, too. Right. And of course, the tower came on and said, oh, we need you to go around. I knew what he was thinking. He was thinking, oh, crap. I was thinking, oh, crap, too, because I thought, oh, my God, now I have to do another lap with the examiner in the plane. What if I screw up something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it all went well. We landed. All was good. And he handed me my pilot's that's license, so I'm very happy.
0: I'm very happy for you.
3: Um, anyway, so that's exciting. All right, should we jump into uh, introducing who our guests are? Yeah,
0: let's explain to our audience a little bit so they.
3: Yeah. So there were the there was a group of women, um, in the seventies, and they were all related to the adult, porn, industry. industry. They were all appearing in porn films and uh they all had an interesting perspective on it and by the way all of them these are very bright women this is not the women you think of in porn films you know trash yeah.
0: yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> oh i see yeah. i see you've done yeah. porn oh, yeah
0: in the philippines i mean <laughs>
3: You know, they're all very, very bright, and, and, and some of the audience will recognize them. I mean, they all excelled at, at other things. Right. There were five women in this group. Unfortunately, two of them have already died. Gloria died, and uh, the other one is uh, Candida Royale. So joining us today, we have three ladies. We have Robin Leonardi, who is the daughter of Gloria Leonard and there's a whole reason the names don't match. We won't go there. And we also have Jane Hamilton. She's better known as Veronica Hart. And then we have Veronica Vera, who you will hear us refer to as V. group of women, they got together, they created a group called Club 90. It was kind of a therapy group, basically. It was for them to get together and talk about their problems, the things that they were that they were facing, as uh, porn stars and porn film workers, and it allowed them a little bit of an outlet, so that they didn't feel like, "Oh, am I the only person?" As yeah, we was, do today, we didn't do that then, right? right. Today, was a camaraderie between yeah, them. Yeah, people get together and realize other people have the same problems that they or camaraderie. do. Camaraderie, camaraderie, <laughs> <laughs> and. So this Club 90 is a lot of them talking about what was going on at that time. Mm -hmm. Feminism, feminism, women's rights. They were being paid less than the men. Interesting thing that uh, we don't talk about in this interview is if they were told that they were going to have sex with another woman, they weren't going to get paid because that wasn't sex. And... So they had to be having sex with a man in order to get paid. If they were told, oh, we're doing this, you know, we're doing this shoot and you're going to be, you know, woman and woman. But we're not paying you you. because it's not. Yeah. What's that, practice? Yeah. it's Not sex. Right. (laughs) So there was a lot of injustices. Right. We don't pay you for rehearsal. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So when we come back from commercial, we will have Club 90. Well, welcome, ladies. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you
4: for having us.
3: Y'all look lovely. It's good to see you.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us the opportunity.
3: Each of our podcasts, Joey, who's a celebrity chef, creates a drink for our guests. And he's created something for you today. And I'm going to let him talk about that.
0: Yes, unfortunately, uh, you can't enjoy it with us, and it's. A, I know it's very hot where you are, Robin, and it's probably pretty warm where you guys are too. But it's very hot for us. So I created a cocktail, and it has um, pa- fresh passion fruit, which I float on the top, and uh, pineapple juice, vanilla vodka, and a little bit of passion fruit juice, and uh, a lot of ice, and it's called the porn star. That's why it's in a very oh. large glass. <laughs> <Love> it,
1: but... <laughs> can i have a tequila version of that the what v- vodka and I just don't get along but- very well can i have the tequila version of that
0: oh yeah you can you can improvise you can improvise i'll send you, the recipe will be sent to you guys and then you can improvise it how you want but this I, this I is the
4: rum would be good with that rum too. would be great
0: <laughs> anything would be good in it yeah well cheers salud
4: l'chaim l'chaim
0: <laughs>
1: Salud.
3: It is good. It's quite good. It is good, yeah. Yes.
1: Oh,
4: so
3: uh, That's
1: not... Wait, just a yeah. second. Now I'm going to go grab my beer. Cheers, <laughs> how so <Yeah>. are you?
3: <laughs> there you go.
0: You don't have to be a porn star to drink this, but you'll perform like one after a couple of them. Wow. <laughs>
2: oh, okay. Put a label on that one. With then. any luck. Hanging <laughs> from the chandelier. That's
3: right. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> So my first question for you is to explain, um, Robin, you were not technically a Club 90 member. I think you're more of an honorary member, correct?
4: I'm what they call Club 91, which is actually <laughs> the, the the children, the offspring of those that were in the, in the adult entertainment industry. And that was kind of, I think, coined by Gerard Damiano Jr. Um, so having been... 12, I think, or 13 years old at the time uh, that my mother became an adult film star and consequently met with these lovely ladies, you know, I'll be 60. So it's been a while and they are like aunties to me and family. And I am honored that I can be included in today's podcast.
1: So,
0: well, thank you. Yes. Thank you for joining uh, us.
1: This is the 40-year anniversary, actually, of Club 90 starting because we were at my son's baby shower. We didn't know it was a son at that time, but my son's baby shower was kind of where it all started. And uh, he just turned 40 this year. Can you
3: believe it, Robin? Wow. Wow. Well, just so everybody understands, this, this came out of an article that was written for an online magazine called Narratively at Narratively.com. And they've done a a long, it's a nice long piece. It's 40 pages when you print it out, by the way, uh, about Club (laughs) 90. And, of course, the whole thing reads like it should be a television series. And and basically... You can repeat that. (laughs) Truth
2: is stranger than fiction.
1: Um, you notice how they they have the characters already drawn out. Each one it focuses on each one of us and kind of gives a, a characterization, you know, summary. So, uh, all you producers out there, you better um, check it out because it's uh, your homework's Jump done. on it!
2: <laughs> we always we always said we were Sex in the City. Way before Sex in the City, we were the real Sex yes. in the City. Oversexed in Over- the city. <laughs> <laughs> and proud, I'm proud of
0: is that, it.
1: Is that a term? Can there be too much sex?
0: <laughs> I think we might. I think we may have just coined that. Oversexed in the city. It's better than undersexed Over-sexed anywhere. Oversexed in the city. Yeah. We're Oversexed. Out of
2: town.
0: Yeah, it's better than undersexed anywhere.
2: anyway i think we're all i mean speaking for myself but i think also for all of us i mean this is a great article hallie lieberman did a terrific article yes indeed and it was not easy hurting us hurting us cats
1: (laughs) there's so many different people and so many different inputs and everything and it's nice to see it compiled into one place and to get a cohesive uh, intelligent and truthful accounting of what went down rather than somebody sitting there making up what they think porn stars do or what they might talk about or what they might be like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah which was the whole purpose in forming Club 90 40 years ago. So people could really get, understand what we were about.
1: No. We started 90 ninety to understand what we were about, B. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't care what you guys thought about us back then at all. It was all about us.
3: <laughs> We've been a and it's a continuing
2: process.
1: Yeah. And there's of, some great yeah,
3: photos yeah. in the article of all of you when you were young. But, but basically, it was, it was this group of women working in the sex industry. And they decided to get together so that they could talk amongst themselves, basically, about what was going on in their lives. And the rule was it couldn't be shared with anybody, including husbands and boyfriends, correct?
2: Correct, yes.
3: How'd that work out? Mm
1: -hmm. When you live with people and uh, you're Zooming and things like that, things get shared just because you're talking and, you know, your spouse walks through in the background. Right, Stan? Stan's over here right now, so he's... (laughs) He really... um, I have a small place, so he can't go in. He's waving. (laughs) He's waving to you. (laughs) So, um, you know, when we were in person, that was different. Sometimes it's a little different to um, confine your Zoom spaces. I know Annie, who's not with us here today, she's busy with her wife in, um, I think they're in Germany now. In Berlin. Right?
2: Berlin. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess probably, well, yeah, just. Uh, or is, yep. Are they finishing up in Salzburg and then they're, Monday they're going the, to. They just had an opening. They had an opening for uh, a gallery show in the. Uh, Uh, in Austria last night. So I guess they'll be traveling either today or tomorrow
3: to Germany. And she's become quite a well-known artist, correct?
2: Yes, internationally known performance artist, along with her wife, Beth. She's amazing. Beth
4: is a professor
2: of art at UC
4: Santa Cruz, Mm -hmm. um, Annie's wife. And so they travel, and they've been doing performance art for 20 years, and um, their stuff has just always been very... together. uh, Cutting a revolutionary. Oh, and Annie's always been a revolutionary. So <laughs> I just want to get that.
1: Doesn't she own- vote? And then when we first started with Club 90, that was one of the reasons we started because Annie was having a um, profession, not a crisis, but a turning point uh, in the roads. And she was thinking, you know, do I want to stay with pornography or should I become an artist or a photographer? And uh, that was one of the things that we met about back then.
3: Well, I love the quote that she says, after having sex with 3,500 men, she decided she needed a change. And now, of course, she's been with a woman. She's had a few changes since
2: then. (laughs) (laughs) Male to female, female to male, male to female, and now now a lesbian. Beth Beth is the
1: perfect fit. Beth Stevens is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful.
0: Those were quote unquote sex changes.
1: No, she, not that she had, but her no, partners.
0: No, I'm kidding. I know, I know. A
1: movie. She <laughs>
4: made a cutting-edge movie, God, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago. Remember, it was Les to Linda. Do you remember that?
2: It was Linda, Les, and Annie. Yeah, the first transsexual love
4: story. And, and it was, I think, their relationship both pre and post-op.
0: Very interesting.
4: This was way, way, this was
1: back in the day, dude. Yeah, wow. This was... This was pay phones on the street corner. Right, right. Annie always led us. I mean, you know, she was the first one that was really heavy into Tantra sex, um, you know, moving energy and everything through uh, sexuality. And boy, I I had done it when I was younger, actually with Stan over there. And I didn't know that that's what I had done. But I know that I was always looking for it again after that because it was pretty amazing and rocked my little world. And uh, so she was heavily into that she was a photographer she was artist she was performance artist she's an amazing woman
3: she is she not was is you wanted to be an actress
1: i am an actress oh, excuse me you wanted to be
3: you wanted to be a different actress. kind of I don't actress. i want to be an
1: actress i am an actress i do act
0: but but that's not by faking orgasms right
1: no uh, you know, I guess when the when the, the director said, "Come now," uh, I guess probably <laughs> that was pretty fake. But if yeah, I but was that, lucky, yeah. Then you then you'd be right. Then you'd be a, you know, right, then, you be a meth-
0: <laughs> then you'd be a method actress at that point. Yes. <laughs>
1: right. You know. Hey, I played Susie in Wait Until Dark, and I did not poke my eyes out. Okay. <laughs> what? I said, oh, Let's Hollywood just movie. say you wanted let's to be a yeah, Hollywood, Hollywood. Thomas movie. Anderson. Yeah, well, Paul Thomas Anderson used me in a couple of films. Um, uh, Boogie Nights, I played the custody judge. And um, unfortunately, my face on screen, uh, the, the names in the credit was longer than my face was on screen for in Magnolia. But he was very kind <laughs> yeah.
3: and he used but, me. But those so, were um, later. Those were later. But when you were originally, according to this, it said when they originally asked you to be an adult movie, you said, no, 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 I'm an actress.
1: Right, I had a degree, I had a degree in theater then. You know, I had a BA from UNLV and um, we played at the Kennedy Center, uh, the Eisenhower Theater for a, a college thing that we'd won. I played at Dela and the House of Bernarda Alba. see, I've
3: been to Australia. Right, do, do you ever look back And And wonder if things would have gone differently if you had not done the porn uh, movies uh, and you had tried to stay with sort of the Hollywood movies. Do you ever regret it? it? I guess is the question. There was
1: no acting in it. And it was like, well, that's fun, but that's certainly not what I want to do. But then when I went and I saw the big screen, and, you know, there was acting before they took off their clothes. And I thought, God, sex and acting and getting paid for it. Woo! You know so i'd say i'd say it's impacted my children differently probably one son benefited from the fact that i was uh, an adult he's uh, we were teaching in china and as a matter of fact he just married his girlfriend in china and i'm going to be joining mm-hmm. them for a month in september they just got married um, before christmas so um that that hasn't impacted max badly but i don't think uh, me being in the adult business has been my other son's favorite choice
0: yeah well, you know, anything that has to do with show business or and and it is show business, uh, children always have some sort of it's either affects them well or affects them not so well. it's you know it's just a personal thing. um just as a footnote, and I don't know if you even remember any of this stuff, but um or know who this is, Joseph oh, Sarno. Wow is my uncle, cool. and he was one of the uh, very first, he's an American film director and screenwriter, and he started in the 50s and 60s with pornography, he's written and directed, produced over 75 films, Inga being one of them in the 60s, and all throughout the 60s, all the way until his death, death in, the, uh, in the late 90s, so very interesting how that's.
4: I believe he directed all about Gloria Leonard.
0: I believe he did too, I did, yeah. So Joe, yeah, it's a... Joe,
4: was, Joe was a great guy. Everyone that ever knew Joe loved him. And that's kind of how I met Perry was through Joe. Um, but he, there was a great documentary about yes. Joe.
0: Yeah, it was Fabulous. called... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of it. it my was Life in over...
4: Dirty Pictures. My
0: Life in Dirty... And you know, the funny thing was I was flying home from, uh, from Europe, my partner and I, and we're on the plane. And I had just gone through a couple of movies already. And then all of a sudden I saw on the list that film. And I wait, wait, that's my uncle. And I watched it and I was on the plane. The film was on the plane. It was crazy. Anyway, I watched it. It was fantastic. And I immediately called his uh, his widow, Peggy, and told her how much I enjoyed it. Because you know, it was a lot about her too and their relationship and all of that. So it was a great documentary.
4: What I took away from that was, you know, he was making those exploitation films. Right. Where there was a lot of innuendo and a lot of passion and a lot of heavy petting, and they really didn't cut to the gynecological. No, exam. not till
0: later, and, much later. Not
4: until later, and and it was hard for him to make that that change. It was. He felt that that romance. What wasn't seen was was what was the what turn was sexy. Off. Yeah, Those because, like because he was it was very nudie, art film for him. No, no. You know, it was, even it was before, about uh, that, that, yeah. Right after that, it, it wasn't even after soft, that, porn the, yet. Sex, sex soft porn. Yeah, soft porn even came later.
0: Actually, the genre You know, when he was starting it was in the fifties and then early sixties, and then Ooh. yes, it but is, yeah. So that was a transition so that he different. wasn't. Yeah, they had tributes for him going going into and, into uh, the and the underground film festival, Torino Film Festival. I think they showed that film at the Warhol Museum
2: Film Archives. Yeah, here in New York.
0: Interesting man, very very talented and very respected in his field too. So. And a
4: sweetheart.
0: A sweetheart, yeah. I met John Waters uh, recently, and he was hes an absolute huge fan of, uh, of my uncle as well. So people don't realize, you know, they look at it in such a different way, but it is all an art form. Everything we do, no matter how that is, and probably it's the most uh, honest form of art. I mean, the most real, because it is raw.
3: You know, exactly. it is completely, it is, it is you know, when they yeah. talk
0: about to be a good actor, you know, it's about being naked, you know, and allowing yourself to be completely free from everything. And so is sex. In order to be good at sex, you have to be completely free of everything. And naked health.
2: Well,
0: <laughs> an art hole? An art hole. I'm an art hole. <laughs>
1: that's
0: hilarious. I, I haven't
1: considered myself that, but that's, that's how we became legalized because no, seriously, not, I guess, by being art holes, uh, but, um, Um, They said before that um, uh, making adult films was a form of prostitution. Okay. So we were, it was illegal and it was against the law. And then Dave Friedman helped in the late eighties, I think 87 overturned that law by saying that this was an artistic endeavor. And they finally passed it because both people, both performers were being paid and there usually was a script. And, you know, so all of a sudden it got passed that it was an artistic endeavor it was not an act of prostitution, and that's how uh, the adult films began to, you know, progress and be legitimate, be legal, and you know, people stopped yeah. going to jail for them.
4: That's fascinating.
0: Well, couldn't you also say that being a wife is a form of prostitution?
4: <laughs> Absolutely. Can I say fucking on this show? <laughs> yes. yes, you
0: can.
1: I think you can <laughs>
0: You know, I mean, and then listen, I don't think you're getting paid quite as much for all the work that they do as a wife and a mother and everything else. That's the form a of prostitution, nurse too. So, right? Yeah, you're you're a, a nurse. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, everything.
2: Well, there's also a whole movement. There was a movement in the 70s called Wages for Housework, and they were all teamed up with the Sex Workers Rights mm-hmm. Movement as well. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's definitely a connection. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I
3: think there's also something to mention here for our younger audience, because you know, now it seems like everybody's a sex star. You turn on your computer and it's everywhere, right? It,
0: yeah, mother, daughter, sister, uncle, grandmother, all together, yeah.
3: Whereas then, and and Jane, by the way, you, I mean, you became a big porn star. You weren't just sort of one of these, you know, off the cut. Co- you, you became a big name in that industry. And at that time, they showed those films in theaters. I mean, Deep Throat ran down the street here for Oh, for Forever. sure. Forever. Yeah.
4: Well, it was, a, it was a different time. It was the time of porno chic. It was the time where X-rated films were, were shot on 35 millimeter with sure. two and three camera with a wardrobe department and sets and lighting. And dialogue. And, and dialogue. And my mother always said, you know, speaking of fucking, was that if, you know, her, for her to be in a film that if you were to extract the sex scenes from it that it would still hold up as a film that had you know plot and 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 character development and that's i think what really drew her to wanting to make these films because they weren't just you know ding dong pizza delivery guy uh, uh, yeah. you know there was more to it and, and once and once that kind of shifted predominantly with the advent of, of home video, once the VCR was introduced into the bedroom, women like Candida, who was not here with us today, uh, but in spirit, you know, she took that to a whole other level because she was able to then uh, create content for women who before could never really go see an x-rated film unless they wanted to march themselves down to the sleazy, theater with the
1: raincoat crowd. And you'd have to bring an umbrella, believe me. <laughs> <I> brought, <laughs> right. Because it was raining inside the theater, I swear. <laughs>
0: I'm
1: sure it was. We were sat there and then all these guys, all the seats filled in right around us. It was amazing. It was like every place else in the theater was empty, but there was like three... Us three women, I think it was myself, Mary Jane, and I think it was Mary and my sister, Mary, my niece. And all of a sudden, we had all these guys all around us. You know, it was pretty funny. They were very nice, though. They, they didn't touch because we told them not to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there was a time, I think it was about 14 years old and Perry was 12. And at That time, my father <clears throat> had done a film with uh, Robert Mitchum. And one of the actors was Stephen Keats, and he and Stephen became very good friends. And Stephen's uh, partner, this woman, Raina Barrett, uh, was an actress, and she and my mother became very good friends. And so Raina had called my mother and said that she was having a screening of her latest film and would she would like to come. And And my mother says, oh, well, I'm... I'm with my boys, we're having dinner, we're going out to dinner, and and it's in Manhattan. She says, well, come, it's going to be later, it's at 9 or 10 o'clock. She says, okay, then I'll bring my boys. She said, fantastic, they'll love it. It was a screening of a porn film with John Holmes, so it started off as a regular film. Perry and I didn't know, and we're sitting in the theater, and all of a sudden, it starts going into the romantic scene, and then the, the nudity. I can't remember, yeah, and then all of a sudden, that is our introduction to the largest penis on the planet. <laughs> and I and Perry and I started I mean, laughing on the big screen. The,
4: really?
0: and the, I was 14, how old were you uh, I was 14 and Perry was 12. Did
1: and and then the my theater?
0: mother Oh, it was a private screening in Manhattan. But she didn't warn your mom. She didn't tell my mother, but my mother just kind of just went I don't I don't know how she hand, My mother was so brilliant at handling everything, but she definitely that one gave her a challenge. But she just did it, and she just said, you know, okay, when it was over, and we were like, okay, Mom, so did you know that was what we were going to go see? She says, uh, no, but I guess if you're going to get an education, you might as well start now. <laughs> <laughs> so the birds and the bees was a crash course, you know, and that. Johnny, so she got off Johnny the,
4: the wad.
0: Oh, my Lord and Taylor. Yeah, that was a trip, but <laughs> I never forgot that. We, Perry and I still laugh about that to this day.
3: V let me ask you something you were raised catholic you were a, oh, you yeah, were very a much. catholic girl was... and you even served as a model for robert maplethorpe
2: oh, but that yeah that was after i started writing you after
3: know. you wrote but i want to ask you about your 80 day around the world trip because i love that you called it you went with your best friend and you called it around the world with a faggot and a slut right <laughs>
2: that's what Robert wanted to call it he was the he was the faggot he was the self-proclaimed faggot I was saying like well I don't consider myself a slut but uh, but it did have a ring to it So, so in fact, we, we did make up t-shirts but it didn't say faggot and slut it said Mary and Veronica which is my original name so yeah no that was he was he was from Australia uh Robert and he lived right next door and we were best friends um and um uh, I used to bring him home to New Jersey to for the holidays, you know. Be, uh, and so then one day he said, well, you know, um, I've been spending Christmas with your family. Why don't you spend Christmas with mine? And I kind of laughed because they lived in Perth. So, But we took the globe down from the – I had a globe and we took it down and we started – well, if we went on this trip, you know, where would we go? And he said, well, I want to see the boys from Ipanema. And so Rio de Janeiro was going to be the first stop. And then we knew uh, what was called in that day, the a space waitress, a, a you know, a flight attendant who worked in, who lived in uh, South Africa. So, okay, we'll go to Johannesburg to see this one. So we plotted it and we didn't go to, we went to Asia and we went to Africa and we went to the Uh, the Far East. We went to India, but we didn't go to Europe or any of those places. So, and, and Robert was an amateur photographer. He had a Hasselblad. So I said, oh, okay, well, I'll bring a bunch of sexy outfits and you can photograph me in all these monuments and places all over the world. And then when we come back, I'll write the story and you will use your photos and we'll sell it. You know, we make all our money back. So we took out our American Express cards. We did the trip and it, you know, we didn't, I didn't sell it right away, but a couple, it took maybe two years later when I hooked up with um, one of the penthouse magazines, sold it for a six-page, um, six-part uh, series, an erotic travel series, so called Around the World with Veronica Vera and used Max's photos. So that was a That's great, a great
3: experience. Yeah. But now you married him. Tell us how this came about, that you married your gay next-door neighbor.
2: Well, okay, so we were best friends. The trip was in the early 80s, 82, 83. AIDS wasn't being talked about, right? But now, a couple, few years later, it's like 85, and AIDS is all yeah. over. And uh, Robert, came, you know, was uh, diagnosed with AIDS, and I thought, okay, you know, he he was the, my my closest male friend, and um, you know, and I felt like he wasn't he wasn't out to his family. And I felt he was out to his siblings, but not to his parents. And I wanted him to know that I would really be there for him. And I wanted him to know he was really loved. Because I feel like if people are not out to their parents, sometimes they feel that they're not lovable. So I went away. Annie and I were going on a trip to a a week art uh, uh, sabbatical with a famous uh, artist named Linda Montano, uh, uh, whose motto is Life is Art. So when I got there, I had this dream about Robert, and I dreamt that he was like injured, and I told him I told Annie and Linda about it. Um, and at first, I said uh, he was going, he was on his way to get chemo, uh, no, uh, radiation. Right. So I told Annie and Linda about it, and I said, you know, I want to do something to let him know I'll be there for him. And I kind of joked in the beginning. I said, oh, I think I thought about marrying him, but after a week <clears> of studying life as art. I thought, well, why not? You know, why not get married? And I came back and I proposed to Robert, and he was kind of shocked, but he knew I was serious. He could tell I was serious right off the bat. And in the in the article, you'll see, I, I told Club the night my Club ninety sisters, and they thought like they couldn't believe it because you know because I was so sexual, and here I, I wanted to marry a gay man and not have who I wasn't having sex right. with, and so like, listen, I'm serious, you know, I want you to be there for me. One of the early
1: stories when Annie said that uh, she was thinking about being gay. And I remember saying, oh, my God, like, you don't have enough problems to deal with. Now you're going to be gay, too.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: throw that in the mix.
2: <laughs> Look what happened. Mm-hmm. Very Those days also, you know, there were lots of wonderful orgies that you know, we could we have with gay men. Annie and I would go to orgies with gay men. We were like best friends before before Club 90. That's how Annie was my guide into the world of sex. So I was very lucky with that. So but yeah, it was days, you know, when when it was very experimental, yeah. you know gay men women you know, you know even good.
0: straight men i mean what what what's this, what, what do they say that they're only they're only about two beers away from a blowjob?
3: or one of these drinks that you <laughs> made today
0: so i mean and, and you know and when you talk about sex it really isn't about sex it's really about i think what separates us as we as gay men especially it's it's what completes us in our and what we fall in love who we fall in love with physically we have the mechanics for for either and that doesn't, that doesn't define us because we've slept with a woman or had experience with a woman. Or if we're straight, we had an experience with a man in college or, or otherwise, or women with women. And, and there are a lot more women that are susceptible to that because they, their emotions are what predict their sexuality, and what makes that so rewarding for them. Do you know what I mean? That's why when women, even if they just have an, uh, an attraction, it's so much different. With men, we have to always fight like, oh, no. No, no, I c- I can't think he's attractive. God, what am I a fag? Am I a sissy? You know, I mean, it's a it's a whole ego thing where you where women don't have that. that I think there was an old saying that, a uh, women fall in love with their ears, men fall in love with their eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's what we see, that all of a sudden attracts us and makes us interested. And what women hear and feel is what, you know. And if you think about the physicality of it, the men are built from the outside in, so we have something that's always susceptible to movement
2: and
0: <laughs> you know what i swing mean it, swing, it. swing it and then women mm-hmm. are built from the swing. inside out so when yeah so when the, they're experiencing you know romance and and touch and affection and attention then they respond from the inside out do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so if we just mm-hmm. think about it like that we'd much be a lot healthier when it came to sex and judgment and All the other stuff that we get so bogged down with, what other people get bogged down with, and make it what it really isn't. It's just a human experience and a physical one, and and we're all entitled to it. So,
1: and why why do you have to choose? Why can't you enjoy both? That's exactly
0: (laughs) exactly exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, V V V is is the actual queen of this, V knows all about, that gender's on a sliding scale, because as a female, I know I have hugely male tendencies, and there are a lot of males I know that have very female tendencies, and we're all on a sliding scale.
2: Exactly, I thought, I thought Joe, I was not gonna get in, interrupt you, but I thought, oh, wow, this is like, lots of debate here could, could be happening with
3: everything. Don't you have a doctorate in this?
2: Yeah, well, we all have doctorates actually. Annie has the PhD, but all of us Club 90s are doctors of human sexuality. Yeah, I've got the plaque on my wall. Yeah. But
4: Veronica, how how long has it been since you've had Miss Vera's Academy for Boys? Miss Vera's Finishing
2: School. Yeah, I was going to for
3: go there. Year. So you might as well tell us about it. Tell us about this finishing school and what it's called.
2: Uh, okay, well, it's called Miss Vera's Finishing School for Boys Who Want to Be Girls. And uh, it's for, I began it in, like, 1989, 1990. That was my first Way student. ahead of the trend. And, yeah, and that was a time when there were a lot of changes in Club 92, when we kind of scattered a bit. We were already scattering. And um, so I... Um, uh, now I've had the school... Of, it's all men, people who've been raised as men, but feel very strongly there's a woman inside. So these were people who at that time would be called cross-dressers or transvestites right. and uh, you know but i because of everything i learned exploring my own sexuality and being a part of club 90 and interviewing people you know writing all those articles about sex i really believe you know we all have a right to be who we are as humans uh, as human beings as long as we respect the rights of others so i um i started this school and i i placed an ad i i I had met someone who was helping cross-dressers with their hair and makeup. That's how it kind of began. She introduced me to my first student. And I started at that time, to, at the end of the 80s, to write a memoir about what I had learned in the sex biz. And I thought, oh, well, how can I you know, make money in a way that doesn't affect um, my uh, writing, you know, uh, writing, not writing columns? And I thought, well, all right, I'll advertise this cross-dressing business. And so I... I did it in a very classy way because I knew I was bringing something very closeted out into the open. So I created great um, uh, brochures and the name, uh, you know, I was really grateful to come up with the name because it was very out there. And then people in the in the 30 years have been coming from acro- not only across the country, from but from around the world. So, and these are all, you know, people who... Uh, some will transition. Some have transitioned. Most are living in, in both lives. They're living lives as men and they're living lives as, as women. And so,
3: But many of know, them are straight the men, correct?
2: COVID,
0: many are straight what? and married too.
2: There's, well, see, that's where it's, yeah, many are married. But I always said the line between who's straight, who's gay is a very blurry right. line, especially when you're dealing, when you start. Playing with gender. I when I began the school, this is this goes along with what you're you're saying. You said, Joe, when I began the school, I thought, oh, these people just want to get penetrated. They just want something up the butt. That's the, <laughs> that's what they feel the experience of being female right. is. But I, of course, I learned that it's so, it's so much, much more, more than that. Yeah. So.
3: And you all considered <laughs> so, yourself feminists, right? At the back, you really felt that this was empowering, and you, you were going to get better pay and you were working for women's rights but you were battling the the other feminists who thought that this industry was really anti-women and robin maybe a lot of people will place your mother if i say your mom became the publisher of high society thank you high magazine. society i was gonna say hustler yes. high society no,
4: that that'd be larry, larry yeah. our our, yeah. our good friend larry flint yeah so she was you know they called her you know there was there was hefner in the 50s and then there was you know uh uh guccioni and then there was my mother and she really started something that no other woman had done before and that was to helm a men's what they would call a men's sophisticated magazine uh yeah. which was on par with penthouse and and playboy um but she was not just a figurehead she did Everything in that at that magazine, um, from selecting you know the 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 girls, she wrote all of the um uh letters to the editor. You know, her she was great wit, great sense of of timing, yeah. So she wasn't just like a pretty chick with you know big boobs that hung around, she did that too. She wore all those hats, yeah, really well. Um, so so she was often really singled out by the um, the, uh, the women against pornography because she was such a great spokesperson. And she was the antithesis of the vapid, what everyone's image of a, you know, a floozy, oh, porn star. Well, she was nothing like that.
0: Nothing like that. She was yeah. extremely ambitious, really smart.
4: You know, She was Mensa, that- baby. I, she yeah. was Mensa. And she yeah. could hold her own and hold court with, just about any everybody. echelon mm-hmm. everybody and so consequently she was you know a lot of people were, were attracted to her in the media because she could she was well-spoken and she could handle her own and and actually have a debate where she wasn't defensive you
0: know or she intimidated was, even more or intimidated, she wasn't intimidated. Yes. yeah
2: right so she, yeah she would always say sex is the great leveler yeah you know
4: oh yeah but totally but is.
2: but whole thing is she made she made a big living going on the road uh having
1: debates with the anti-porn people do you remember that robin she did yeah that for she, was a, she was with
4: she was with yeah she was with the college lecture bureau mm-hmm. and as uh, she was phasing out of um publishing and she, you know she appeared in over 30 x-rated films um Uh, but then also on every major TV show from Oprah to, you know, Tom Snyder and everyone in between. Uh, but then she went on the college lecture circuit, uh, debating in, in colleges, uh, with women against pornography. And, and uh, it was unusual because there were certain times where, you know, after this debate, the, the anti-porn gal would like come over and say like, you know, like, I kind of get what you're saying and even though i'm the you know the spokesperson for this for this industry that uh is you know against what you're saying uh, i can relate and so i think my mother took great pleasure in that
1: i think your, i think your mom went to lunch with her a couple of times didn't she i think mm-hmm. she went out it wasn't it was what they their their debate was what like their jobs it was like two lawyers debating right. each other and they were friends mm-hmm. outside of the out of of the debate. I thought that was awesome.
3: This is perfect lead into the last thing I want to ask you. And V, it kind of falls on you, but there was a U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee or subcommittee on juvenile justice and they held hearings on porn. First of all, I want to know why is the Juvenile Justice Committee having a hearing on porn? I was kind of struck by that. I didn't quite understand. Sounds like a bunch of dirty old senators wanting to hear porn stories.
2: Well... I, I'm i not sure why it became under that committee. I guess they wanted to have the start, you know, have the committee, and it's like, oh, well, where can we fit it in? Uh, so, so uh, yeah. So it was Arlen Specter, and actually Gloria was supposed to be the one who would um, uh, be do this, uh, <clears throat> to testify, be one of the people to testify, but she was having back surgery, so she asked me if I would do it, and I was thrilled to do it. I thought, oh, yeah, okay. So um, I was all prepared, and I, Al Gold—I I was all prepared to, you know, um, write up all this philosophy. And Al Goldstein said, you know, be careful, you know, these are, you know, you, this, these are serious people. So he sent me to his lawyer, a Ken, a guy named Ken Norwick, who was an ACLU attorney. And Ken looked at what I had written up, and he said, i oh, forget all this philosophy." He said, "They want to know what your experiences were." so i changed what i was going to write and i just you know uh went and annie annie was going to i you know annie was going to come with me because we, we document everything you know we ladies do- like to document everything long before
4: instagram correct where it was a disposable camera if you were you know lucky or if you had that the nikon right So we went together,
2: and also my editor from Adam, the magazine I wrote for for a dozen years, he happened to be in town, so I said, well, you come with us, you know, so he came. And um, and Seika testified that day. So the day we testified, uh, it was not only me, it was Seika and I were um, testifying together. Al Goldstein testified earlier that day. Then there was John Money, who was a... Uh, pioneering sex change doctor who got in a lot of trouble later, but he he did pioneering work, and uh, and then West John Weston the Adult Film Association, so I think that was all. Yeah, all of us there were five of us. So uh, that was it. And then later that testimony, my testimony became part of the that that testimony was October '84. Then January of '85 they started the Mies hearings. Uh, which is what they really wanted to do. They really wanted to, like, say to me, having hearings like that is like distracting the public. So, to make people feel guilty about their sexuality, so that politicians or whatever, they can, you know, rape the country in other ways. So, January of 85, the Mies hearing started, and my testimony, the testimony that, uh, that we did that day, became part of the Mies hearings. But I got to also, you know, they asked for evidence. So I had modeled for like some bondage photos, and and I thought, well, I know this is what uh, Dworkin and McKinnon, the big anti-porn crusaders, are complaining about. So I sent them these, this, uh, you know, photo series of me in bondage. And he
3: held up, he opened the magazine, the senator. And yes. He, a, and he and he showed this bond, these bondage photos mm-hmm. of you, and. Which
2: Annie, Annie was the photographer, actually.
3: <laughs> okay. And asked why you had posed for them. Little. And then you said exactly. you would read a paragraph explaining why you had explore this bondage fantasy. Do you remember what you said? You
4: have to log on to narratively.com to read it. <laughs> yes, that's right. We want get to give it all right, away.
2: Do you <laughs> <laughs> make them yeah right well yeah, and we're not going to gonna go talk to about Netflix. that com. with that
3: kind of language on this podcast anyway <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and i you know there were all movie ca- there were all tv cameras around so i had to i asked permission so now get, you can find the rest at Narratively. The
3: best part is in the congressional record what you Eight said.
2: word that she had to say that they let her say. It was, it was.
3: Exactly.
2: Well, yeah, I kept thinking like, okay, what are those seven dirty words we're not able to say on TV, oh, yeah. you know? Shit,
4: piss, so. fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. And <laughs> so I,
3: it was one of those.
2: One on the, on the <laughs> yes, it was one of those. Wow. Of those. My health things have changed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there is one thing I'd like to get your opinion on And one thing that troubles me And it angers me terribly Is that there's all this hypocrisy And how they Everything sex All of a sudden now makes us perverted And it has to do with children How, how, does, that, how does that sick mind Add that to the mix If we're gay, if we're a transsexual If we're a drag queen All of a sudden now we're doing something to children Isn't that your parents' job to be able to teach them and to protect them and to let them understand. One thing has nothing to do with the other.
4: Did you see the cartoon with uh, the priest and um, the clergyman? And it says, you know, the, the, the men in dresses who were abusing our ch- our children, you know, right. are
1: not wearing high heels or something like that. You've, you've opened a big can of worms because I've always thought about this, there's, If you look throughout the ages, the things that have been um, not passed in society, such as homosexuality, such as uh, dressing up um, in drag and stuff like that, now they're all accepted. And the only one major thing that is not accepted, and believe me, I'm not promoting it should be accepted, but is about sex with children. So the only way they can try and drag you back into the dark ages is by attaching you to that. To that. That thing, which, yes, the only the only sexual preference, I mean, except for necrophilia, that's not been accepted in intelligent, you know, society that uh, allows people to have their different preferences and everything. That's the only it's kind of like the last taboo. So if you connect whatever sexuality with that last taboo, you know, you're you're scaring people, which is all their tactic is. Yeah, and, it's and, all and about. Control,
0: of course.
3: But but nobody's closer to this than your children,
1: and you know what I made it. I made it a huge point never to be inappropriate with them or uh, being. You know, you just that was such a big, a big thing that I stayed away from for you know so long. I never you know I made sure I never went out with their friends. You know, when they're of an age or something like that. I (laughs) never. i'm serious you know that whole thing about you know the the mom that's you know getting her son's you know best friend or something like that never 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 because i never wanted to be associated with that
0: yeah well you never blurred the lines i mean because what you do you know there's an old saying it's not what you do but how you do and the Mm -hmm. fact that you are a mother and how you are as a mother is what's important. There are a lot of parents that are terrible parents and terrible human beings, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. and they may have these upstanding careers or positions in politics or in, in life or wherever, however you want to do it, but they're not those people. And and this is just an example of what you see is not always what you get, and what you don't see may be even better yet, so.
4: Cause... So much hypocrisy, so much hypocrisy so, course, so in much. society. You know, and always always deflecting to the underdog to hide what they are doing. And, you know, that's one thing I always give my mother so much credit for is that when I was 12 years old, she was 35 and decided, you know, that she was going to make an X-rated film after much deliberation. And she came to me and I really respect her for that because she was always honest from Mm -hmm. the very beginning. You know, if she had tried to hide it from me, um, and you know, and then I see her poster 50 feet square, That would have been devastating, you know, but, but, but mortified, but my whole life, she was always was very open and honest. And I really, I, I give her, I give her great kudos yeah. for that because that, that really kind of set the stage. And, you know, a lot of people had this fantasy uh, that, you know, she would lie around in bed all day, you know, eating bonbons while a bevy of boys came through. But she, no, she was, you know, she was a Jewish mother. She just happened to also be a porn star. So that fantasy that people have about the lifestyles that porn stars live when they're not in front of the camera is often anything but what's really
3: yeah.
0: happening. I, I mean, let's face it. We all work and we all do check in and we check out. So I don't know anybody that works 24/7. You know what I mean? We all have careers, we all have lifestyles, we also have things that we believe in and we also have you know responsibilities to ourselves, to our children, to our family, to our work, to to life and to every day and to whoever we perceive as God. And it really has nothing to do with anybody else what they want to throw on us cuz that just doesn't stick and it's not and it shouldn't. So
3: ladies, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll drink a porn star to that, too. (laughs) You have your beer. You have your coffee. Read the article in narratively.com. It's very good. It's very interesting. It goes way beyond what we've talked about. And thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, ladies.
2: Thank you. Thank you for
0: having us. Well, you know, I I was very um, pleased to speak with them. I thought they were interesting. They were intelligent. They were articulate. You know, and I think... The three, three, the three that we spoke to, uh, don't they have P- at least two of them have PhDs? All of them have PhDs, all of them PhDs do.
3: in human sexuality. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and Robin, by the way, is a you know major real estate uh, realtor. Yeah, and and of They're course Annie, who wasn't they have on children. with us, they have children except for Annie because she's now living with a woman. Yeah, and. Uh, they're all very, very accomplished in what they're doing and very bright. And I, I thought they were great. And, I, and the reason, you know, that we had them on was to show that all of our ideas of who people are and what things right. are are exactly. not are not the same as
0: our impressions the, are. You know, we have to look a lot deeper than we do and listen more intently, because all of a sudden you find out, wow, I'm learning something from this person. And I actually even like this person.
3: Yeah. No, exactly. And I haven't dealt with the others as long as I've dealt with Robin. I've been dealing with Robin for you know a couple of years, and she's really, really smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that she sends me and that she does and says, and you know, even on contracts and things this is these are very bright women, yeah. and um, you know, all the more power to them because they did something in an industry where people think they're not bright, and here they were you know, controlling their lives, at least they were in their 20s doing what they felt at the time, and and then they turned around and made, you know, something out of their lives beyond Absolutely. that.
0: Absolutely. And let me ask you this question when you said that. So because they were in the porn business, which basically they're having sex or performing some sort of a sexual yeah. act. As I so- said in the interview,
3: I don't, porn is sort of the wrong word because porn is short for pornography and which is sort of a negative term. Right, well, that's what I was gonna say. So all of
0: a sudden, they're bright, they're smart, they're all of the things, they're mothers, they're they're all of these things, the great things, and then once you hear that that they're having sex for, you know, in front of a camera or whatever, that all of a sudden, that's all you think about. You don't realize. The person behind all of that, and or that they're not intelligent or whatever. You know, it takes a lot of smarts to be good in bed.
3: Well, not only that, they're acting for sure. Because if you read the article, you know her mother was like, "Oh, I had to smoke a joint plenty of times before I did this, so I could get my head wrapped well, so around." So you it. had to be smart to know you had to do that. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, they're not necessarily attracted to these people that they're par- that they're it's paired just, with. It's
0: a, it's a, it's a, like you said, it's a role.
3: Yeah. You know. So you know they're doing it for money. They were young. You know, it's worth looking at their pictures when they're young. They were beautiful, yeah. And so, you know, the, it was easy money for them, and they did it, and they got involved with it, and they rather liked it. And uh, you know, off they went. No, it's kind of funny. And so we to should, speak. we
0: should, you sh- they should read that article because you'll see the pictures from them before and now. So it's almost like the Golden Girls yeah. meet.
3: Yeah, it's the <laughs> it, the article is absolutely yeah. worth reading, which is why we, you know, we did this. Yes. So the article was released a couple of days ago.
0: Yeah, you'll, you'll really enjoy this article. They're very interesting and they're uh, lively and quite intelligent and, and some great stories. I mean, interesting stories. Yeah, that was fun. It
3: mm-hmm. was a good one. Yep. It's always nice to speak to intelligent people. Yeah. <laughs> and Arizona. you know what we don't normally do, which we get to do this week, is next week we have on Randall Kleiser, the director yes that's a great interview we never promo our next things and you know we've already we've already spoken to him and seen him and so that'll be our next podcast yeah listen out for that you'll enjoy it yeah so thank you Until then we'll talk at you soon this podcast is a production of the villa romana network in association with spotify